If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 8, and I would ask you in honor of God's Word that we stand together as we hear from the, the reading from God's Word found in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 through verse 20. Hear now the Word of our Lord. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. And amen. Please be seated. As we come to this weekend, our celebration of Christmas, there's, there's actually been a lot of debate over the decades, the eons, concerning the exact date of Christ's birth. The scriptures don't give us an exact date. Uh, we're given little clues here and there that help us try to figure that out and interpret it. The reality, though, and I'll just say this up front before I go into to, to, uh, to offend everybody with my view of the, when he is actually birthed, is, is that... The fact that he was birthed is what matters most. The actual date's not that relevant to us, right? That being said, the very first passage, verse 8, uh, reads, uh, kind of leads the debate as to when the, child, when the Christ child was born. It begins in verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And you may say, well, David, how does that how does that tell us much of anything? But it does because uh, of the, the area that they were in. The overnight pasturing of livestock was usually only done in the spring and the summer. In the coldest weather, the animals were brought in and were stabled. So if this event took place in December, they more than likely the sheep more than likely would have been stabled at this point, not out in the pasture uh, Grazing, because as many of you, if, you, if you're farmers with either cattle or sheep or whatnot, know there's not a lot of a good grass now. You're bringing in hay to, to take care of them. These shepherds were probably the overseers of the temple flock. They kept the, the sheep. It, it begins in the same region. Uh, Joseph and Mary had just arrived in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was 10 to 15 miles, or is 10 to 15 miles from um, Jerusalem. Uh, in that same region, in between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, were some, some grazing grounds, and, and it is thought that these were the sheep that were used for the temple uh, sacrifices and whatnot. And these, these shepherds were the keepers of 
those sheep. Hence the, the close proximity in this statement of they're in the same, uh, the same area. They were out in the field late at night and probably uh, quite synonymous, uh, simultaneous with Jesus' birth, they received this visit, a visit unlike Joseph's. If you remember our, our, our look at Joseph's a few weeks back, Joseph's dream, uh, his angel appeared, uh, Gabriel appeared to him in a dream. Uh, but this was a physical manifestation. An angel appears and carries on a dialogue with more than one of these shepherds. The passage begins, shepherds, plural. So we're not looking at one, but multiple folks at this time. A little bit different, for instance, than Paul's uh, revelation on the road to Damascus, where Paul is knocked down and Paul individually has a conversation with the Lord. The others hear stuff going on, but they don't see or understand what's going on. Here, multiple angels are, are there in this conversation with this angel. And then this miraculous light shines around them. A choir of angels sing to them. And indeed, it had to have been a sight to behold. Something unlike anything they had ever, ever seen before. And something that, that would have instantly said to them and to anybody who was present, something powerful, something miraculous is going on here. The result of that visitation was the shepherds were willing to leave the flocks that were in their care and go and search for the Messiah. Never would have happened ordinarily. You don't leave the, the sheep alone. Uh, those who've ever raised sheep know they're not the smartest of animals. Uh, and and uh, there were the other dangers they were around for the fact for them to have just left the sheep. Had, tells us this had to be something important. Is it any wonder, though, that we see this picture of the shepherds so often in the story of Jesus? Here we have shepherds being given a great message, leaving their flock to search for the Savior, telling any and all who would listen of the work of God and the Messiah before returning back to watch the sheep. Can you not see the picture of Christ, the church, the Great Commission, all being lived out through these shepherds in this brief moment. As we look at this passage, like the shepherds, we must seek out the Savior. For the truths of this passage will lead us uh, to life and forgiveness. And I begin th this message talking about this very same thing I've mentioned in every single one of the previous messages. That the announcement here is being made to the most or to the least likely of folks that you would expect. The shepherds of that day were were considered akin to the thief or, or a common criminal. It was the lowest job on the job totem pole. If you were looking to break an entry-level job, this was below the entry-level job of the day. This was the job that nobody really wanted to have. It, you know, today we would probably equate it to the ditch digger uh, or, or something along those lines, the trash man. Um, not respected at all, not a job that you would, you would think that the angels would come and announce the birth of the king to. They were uneducated and poor. They were rugged men who were not accepted by most of the society. And as I mentioned, were the most unlikely recipients of a message from God. Yet here they were. J.C. Ryle writes about these men. He says, The things of God's kingdom are often hid from the great and the noble and revealed to the poor. The busy labor of the hands need not prevent a man being favored with special communion with God. Moses was keeping sheep. 
Gideon was threshing wheat. Elisha was plowing. When they, all, when they were severally honored by direct calls and revelation from God. Let us resist the suggestion of Satan that religion is not for the working man. The weak of the world are often called before the mighty. The last are often first and the first last. As we look at the passage, the verbs used here give us a description of an event that was more than a unison dream of a few drowsy shepherds. It was a physical event that happens. The word in our, appeared in our translation here in the ESV means to, to set over, to establish, to attend, to come upon. It implies this physical presence, that this was a literal being that they saw that was right there with them. Perilampo, which means uh, speaking to the light, which means to shine all around. This was an all-engulfing beam of light. It's not like the beam of our headlights, but this was uh, a light that just engulfed every, every aspect of them. These men, the riffraff of the day, experienced what nobody else in all of history has experienced then or since. That day, even since the days of the Exodus with the fire and the smoke, no one had seen this all-engulfing presence of the, the angelic beings. The manifestations of the Lord that were used to usher in the first great event were great in the lives of the people of God. But here is another manifestation of the heavenlies ushering in the greatest the beginning of the greatest redemptive event in all of history, the birth of the Christ child. So it is, is it any wonder then that we read in the very next verse, and they were filled with great fear? The Greeks put emphasis on this thought. They were terrified with fear. Being fearful is bad enough, but being terrified with the fear is pretty bad. Especially when you think that these men had faced wolves and bears and lions in defense of the sheep, in defense of the flock, and yet here they are, scared out of their wits. This was no roller coaster type of fear. This was the end of the life, call my wife and tell her I love her type of fear. This was the everything's going to end type of fear. But the angel using the same language that he actually used with Mary and Joseph week, months before, promptly seeks to calm them down. And we read, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be with all the people. Do not fear. The natural question is, why? Why shouldn't they be? Why, why shouldn't I be fearful? And the angel gives them a couple reasons. He first says, Why shouldn't you fear before? Behold, look, see, it's right before you. I'm Eugeliezomai. Eugeliezomai. Excuse me, I'm having a hard time getting that one out. I'm proclaiming good news of good news. The good news of Megacharan, of great joy. This for all the people. This is the news. This is the message that everybody's got to hear. Not just the people of the God of Israel. This is for all the world, all the mankind, that there is a Savior that is born. This is good news that everybody needs to hear. 
And this whole thing raises some questions. Why the shepherds? Why did this angel appear to the shepherds? Why not to the king, to the governor of the, of the area? Why not to the Roman centurions who were patrolling that area? Why to the shepherds? Maybe if, as we read some of the passages from elsewhere in Scripture, it might bring it to light. In Micah, we have the prophecy of the Lord, which reads, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Or in Isaiah chapter 40, And he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Or the great shepherd picture we see in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The power of pictures. To the most unlikely came the most unbelievable moment in history. While others might argue that, that it never happened, they are unable to change, uh, to deny the change that came about in these men. From the dregs of society to being the first preachers of the gospel, the first preachers of salvation. We know they did because we read at the very end. How did they leave? They left glorifying God and praising Him. They left telling anyone that would listen to them. And what were they telling them? The message of the angel, the evangelism of great joy. And that message comes in two different forms we see here. First, there's the declaration. And then there's the song. The declaration is found in verses 11 and 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The declaration begins with a quote from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 with, with added description. And a very specific description at that. There would be a baby. The baby would be wrapped in swaddling clothes, which were... Towels or rags, uh, and in some place, in some baby, in some instances, the the uh, marital sashes that the the husband and wife wore, they were used to wrap the baby to keep the baby clean and to and to uh, uh, also provide stability for that young child. Mary and Joseph arriving in in Bethlehem probably didn't have a birthing kit, so these were items either found in this in the stable or provided by the stable owners. They find the baby, or will find the baby, lying in a manger. And that's something to think about, too. Very specific. I mean, how many babies do you think are found in lying in mangers on, on the average day? None today, but even then, how many would be found lying in the feeding trough of domesticated animals? Definitely not a sight that would be missed because it was not a sight that had been seen before. It's pretty safe to assume that this baby that they find in this trough would be the only baby in the trough anywhere in the area. 
very specific. A baby would be born. A baby would be in swaddling clothes. A baby would be in the manger. And then the angel declares that he is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. Christ is the English transliteration of the Greek word Christos, meaning anointed one. This child is the one that has been set apart by God for God's use. He is the one the people were waiting for, the anointed to be the king, the Messiah. As the angel had announced to both Joseph and Mary, also the Savior. This was no ordinary child born in no ordinary way. And this declaration then led the angel with the choir to sing. We read that the song was immediate, an immediate response to the holy declaration. There wasn't a lull. There wasn't uh, a dead air space. Immediately, as soon as he says, Christ to the king, we read, and suddenly, immediately, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, an uncountable portion of the entire army of God appeared singing. As if one angel And the appearance of that light was not enough and not powerful enough to those shepherds. Now, angel upon angel, beyond their count, is suddenly there and singing this song together. John Calvin writes, Among men, the testimony of two or three witnesses is sufficient to remove all doubt. But here is a heavenly host with one consent and one voice bearing testimony to the Son of God. What then would be our obstinacy if we refused to join with the choir of angels in singing the praises of our salvation, which is in Christ? Hence we infer how abominable in the sight of God must, be, must unbelief be, which disturbs this delightful harmony between heaven and earth. Again, we are convicted of more than brutal stupidity if our faith and our zeal to praise God are not inflamed by the song with the angels with the view of supplying us with the matter of our praise, sang in full harmony. Still farther, by this example of heavenly medley, the Lord intended to recommend to us the unity of faith and to exhort us to join with one constant, or one consent, excuse me, one consent in singing his praises on earth. What a beautiful picture there. This song that is sung, while brief, comes in two parts for us. First, the exaltation. Words of praise and exaltation about God, reminiscent of Isaiah's writing in uh, 49.13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. O break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. Glory to God in the highest. It's a call to praise and honor. Glory to God in the highest. It's not just a statement to be believed, but it's a fact to be acted upon. There is no one more deserving than God. He had finally brought to answer the great covenantal promise of the Redeemer given to us back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. All that Israel had hoped for and waited upon has now come to fruition. What else could be done but to exalt and to praise God the Father for his marvelous work? But the second part of the song comes with a promise. Don't you love this about God? 
If you look anywhere in the scriptures, whenever you see him being praised and, and calling for the praise of our Lord, we also see him bringing this promise. And here uh, the promise is given, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In the Greek, the word is Irene. In the Hebrew, the word is shalom. It's not just a cessation of violence. We're praying for peace in the Middle East. A cessation of, uh, of violence there, that is not shalom. Shalom is this a contentment and peace. A place of total contentment and satisfaction. I describe it as that place. That place where everything is just right, just perfect, just settled. Where you could ask for nothing more or expect anything more. Everything that you need, everything that you want, everything you could ever dream of is all there. That is shalom. But it's given to those specifically, look at that in verse 14, among those with whom he is pleased. I know the King James uh, reads the, uh, the well-known uh, goodwill towards men. Uh, it's taken from uh, the King James Version is taken from uh, a mishmash of, of older manuscripts uh, with little support and uh, the Latin Vulgate. Uh, and uh, most of our modern translations, including the ESV, are looking at a broader range of manuscripts uh, and have come to this uh, where they see this is uh, speaking to the people of God, not a broad general uh, Unitarian or uh, uh, viewpoint. This is the angel saying specifically, this peace and goodwill will come to God's people. John 3, verse 16, we're all familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then in John 1, 12 and 13, we also read, but to all who did not who did receive him he believed and who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god fb meyer writing on this passage says this peace is said in the revised version to come only to men in whom god is well pleased live to please god and he will breathe on thee his peace Seek his glory, and he will make thy heart his home. Do his will, and thereby good shall come to thee. Do you know the pleasure of God with you today? The shepherds then give us a picture of what should happen when you do find the Lord. From that very moment, the shepherds' lives were changed. I remind you, remember, they, they leave everything they have, everything they own, everything they know. They leave their very job at the risk of losing everything to go find the Savior. Immediately they go again. Verses 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph. And the baby lying in, the manger, in a manger. They didn't wait for a program to be designed 
or to get all the right training and the materials. They didn't wait for the church to tell them to go. They didn't, they didn't wait for uh, a program to come on to show them that this is the way they should go. They'd been given the message, and now they wanted to see it in real life. They went with haste. We all too often procrastinate with all kinds of excuses as to why we can't come to the Lord, why we can't just do it now. These men didn't wait. They had to see it and they had to tell. Oftentimes we hear folks say, well, I'm just going to wait till later in life or I'm going to wait till I'm in a better frame of mind. I remember a, a comedian years ago doing, going through this routine about the, uh, uh, the best time to go. You know, we use that phrase, it was a timely death. When is really timely death? He said, you know, if I'm out on the golf course and I'm about to putt and it's three o'clock and suddenly that's my time, does that mean I go at that time? Here, these men didn't wait for the time to go. They went with haste because of the need to go. The second thing that we see in, in their lives that, is, uh, that we can apply to ours is they spoke up and told everybody else, others, about what had happened and what they had heard and what they had seen and what they had found. Verse 17 and 18, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, that from the angel. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. When they saw the fulfillment in Christ, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, found in the, in the manger, in the feeding trough, then they were able to say, wait a minute, everything that angel said was true. Everything that angel said was right. And they began to tell others. But notice this. One thing they teach us is that evangelism is not nearly as hard as we often make it. It's simply telling the good news and how we've seen it at work. The best definition of evangelism I have ever heard is just telling other people about what God's done in your own life. It's not some big plan. It's not four steps. It's not nine roads or anything like that. What has God done in your life? What did God do in their life? Note that the shepherds didn't try to convince or convict. They just told them the good news and left the others to wonder, is this true? Is this right? Surely there were questions, why are these shepherds telling this to us? These shepherds are the nobodies. Why would this, how could this have happened to them? And we know because we've read the Gospels and we see that throughout Jesus' life, there were, all of, there, there were more that didn't believe than there were that those, of those who did believe. And yet these men were persistent in their message. So much so that we read that Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them, kept thinking about them, kept thinking about all this. And think from, from Mary's perspective for a moment. Here's Mary in the last nine months had had her own personal visitation from an angel. Her husband had had a dream and a visitation from an angel. She had gone to see her cousin who immediately was filled with the Spirit and, and told her everything that the previous angel had told her and her husband. And now these shepherds who she didn't know a single one of them had never met or seen them ever before suddenly show up and tell her everything that the angel had told everybody else before her. 
And she was seeing God at work. She was seeing the angel's proclamation coming true right before her very eyes. And she treasured those thoughts and kept them with her. The final thing that we can learn from these shepherds is they worshiped and praised the Lord. We read in verse 20, and the shepherds returned back, and it's implying return back to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They returned to the life they knew changed in a way they had never known before. They worshiped and praised God for all they had seen and heard for the fulfillment of what the angel had declared to them. And what we see in them is an act of faith. The angel announced that a baby would be born who would bring great salvation. Not as a baby, of course, but but through his life. And they acted in faith by hastily going to see what they had been told had happened. To confirm with their own eyes and in their own mind what had happened. This could only be believed and hoped upon by faith. And seeing that actual baby gave them confirmation and a source of hope. So much so that their lives were changed eternally at that point. We don't read they made a profession of faith. We don't read that they came down an aisle. We don't read that they knelt uh, before an altar or anything like that. They heard the good news. They saw the good news. And they believed the good news. Today we celebrate the birth of the Christ child, Jesus, the Savior. The very same baby that they saw those many years ago. The same child they found in a manger, we now picture quite often hanging upon a cross. He gave them the greatest gift they could ever receive and has given us the greatest gift we could ever desire. Salvation from the the condemnation due to us, due to our sin. For Paul reminds us in Romans, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Where? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. They saw in that infant the greatest gift of life ever given to man. And we see in their story a reminder of that. That we all enter into this life without hope. Nobody's in the world's eyes and in need of a gift. And on this Christmas Eve and tomorrow as you gather with family on Christmas morning and you receive the gifts from each other, be reminded of the greatest gift of life that is found in Jesus Christ alone. The shepherds were blessed to get to see him in reality. But we are blessed to know him in reality through faith in Christ. As we come to the table in a few minutes, we get to celebrate that reality. As we partake of the bread and the cup and are reminded of his body and blood that was broken and shed for us. That Christ came. That he lived. That he died and rose again. As a gracious gift given to us that we might have life. That is what we celebrate on Christmas. So let us join together in celebrating life. Let us pray. 
Almighty God and Father, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you show us each day. We thank you for the great gift of life we have in Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you uh, would be with us now. If there are any present here who do not know you, I pray, Father, that they would, today would be the day of their salvation. And for those of us who, who do know you, I pray that as we come to the table, we would celebrate the great life we have in Christ Jesus. Be with us. Be glorified in us. And Lord, as we come to this table now, I pray that you would cleanse our hearts and our minds, that you would pre- prepare us to receive the blessing of the body and the blood of Christ by faith as we receive the cup and the bread. Father, cast our eyes upon you, O Lord, that we would see you and know you in a new way, and that you, O Lord, would be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.